Hi, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership Emirates Festival of Literature and Najahi Events. Now, a few months ago, I had a guest on the show, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, and he went down a storm, and many of you really enjoyed what he had to say. Well, today, he's back to share with you his wisdom, his ideas, and the way that we can maybe think about kindness, link it to loneliness, and use it as an act of service for the better of everyone. You're going to love this one. Thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. He's back again for part two. Rongan, how are you today? I'm good, Spencer. It's uh, nice to be here in Dubai, the sun's shining, and uh, yeah, looking forward to our conversation. The last time I interviewed you, we were, I was with Lisa Johnson, so I, I didn't actually get as much opportunity as I wanted you to ask the questions I wanted to. Now I've got you to myself. Okay. Okay, I'm going to hog you all completely. Let's go. And uh, we'll see how we get on. But first of all, you're here in Dubai at the Emirates Festival of Literature. Have you been here before? Have you enjoyed this experience? I've been uh, to Dubai for family holidays before, so that's typically, you know, come here with my wife, with my kids, in a hotel, pool, sun, kind of relaxation. I've never been for work before, so, you know, if you can call what I do work, which I guess technically it is, but, you know, I feel I'm very lucky to do a job that I really enjoy, and I kind of feel I'd be doing it whether it was my work or not. So although it's technically work, it doesn't feel like it, but it's been pretty incredible. You know, the, the, the festival here is fantastic. I think the caliber of speaker is very, very good. Um, but I tell you, for me also, it's been really fun to come to a different part of the world to talk about my ideas and the things I'm passionate about and then and sort of get questions mm-hmm. from a different part of the world. You know, so what questions, for example, may be relevant here that people don't ask in the UK? Mm-hmm. And I've got another event tonight, um, you know, a solo event for an hour talking about happiness and health. And I'm looking forward to the questions actually more than anything, mm. because I want to know what are people in this part of the world passionate about? What are they going to ask questions about? Yeah, good, good point. I, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and, and I said, what would you prefer? A million dollars or a million new readers? And he said, I would prefer a million readers all day long. He said, that's what matters to me. And, and, and the feedback I get from people is what matters to me. 100%. I mean, if you ask me that question straight away, no thinking at all, a million new readers. Now, let's be honest. Your ability to answer that question and give that answer depends on a few other things in your life, right? If I was on the breadline and I was struggling to feed my family, I probably wouldn't give you that answer. I'd probably take a million dollars. But, you know, the truth is I can afford to put a roof over my head and I can afford to do most of the things that I like to do in life. And buy good quality food for my wife and my kids and do you know what I mean the things that are important to me so with that as the context yeah I, I take a million new readings any day of the week I talk about how doing what I do with my podcast and I don't know how many episodes you're in with yours right what are you now 320 okay so you're a bit ahead of me I'm about 240 250 so you're ahead of me the feedback that I get from people that comment on certain episodes and how the episode has impacted them and made them think differently or made their relationship with their kids different 
it's really, really powerful when I get that. And on one, just one comment can fuel me for two weeks, 30 days. Yeah. Just remembering that. And it's so much so that I'm sitting thinking as I'm talking to you right now, oh, they're in my phone right now. I want to share that with him. And it's like, that's how much they mean to me. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, you know, I think about podcasting a lot. I think about why why is podcasting blowing up all over the world? You know, it's the fastest growing uh, medium. Um, certainly in media, at least. And I think, you know, something, I don't think we spoke about it last time I came on your podcast, Spencer, but loneliness is a big thing, mm. right? Loneliness everywhere is going up. In the UK it is, in the US it is. Now, interestingly, I'm not familiar with UAE so much, but just trying to get an understanding of the culture and what's going on, it's interesting that a lot of people have left where they are from, where they've got roots and tribes and communities, potentially they've come here for work or for other reasons. They've intentionally chosen to be here. Now, of course, they can create communities here or wherever they, they then go, but a lot of people struggle to do that. And what's the relevance of that to the question you asked me? Well, I've been literally this morning reflecting about that, thinking, I, I really do believe that long-form podcasts are the modern-day campfire. And I think that we don't get that communal um, switch-off, that gathering around the campfire, exchanging stories. We're too busy. We're too isolated in our lives. We're on our screens. We're sort of in isolation. And I think what happens with audio podcasts is that you start to become the soundtrack to people's lives. They listen to you in a very intimate way when they're walking, driving in their car, on a commute, ironing, doing the washing up. You know, there's a real level of intimacy you get. And I think that's what makes the connection through audio podcasts very, very special. And therefore, circling back to your question, I think that's why the messages you get back, the message I get back are so meaningful and powerful because you do form part of the fabric of people's lives, whether, I don't think I realized this at first. And therefore I think often it's like life advice or they feel that you're a friend of theirs who's, you know, talking to them, not directly to them, but almost about them and their lives. And so, yes, the feedback really, really drives me. And, and then, you know, the truth is, Spencer, I came out on Friday, late flight, was a bit delayed. Uh, you know, I got in about, 2 or 3 a.m. to the hotel. Didn't sleep particularly well. And you know, I'm, I'm here by myself. My events weren't till today, which is Sunday. And you know, I was a bit jet lagged in my room yesterday, feeling, oh man, you know, you know, just a bit, you're not quite as shitty almost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then it's funny that I just bumped into someone who, you know, I, where was I? I think I was out for a walk. Someone just stopped me in Dubai and said, oh, Dr. Chessie, can I just talk to you about your podcast? And they started to say various things that had happened and how it had changed the, the way that they parent their children, how it's affected their health. I was totally buzzing. I thought this is one person in a part of the world where I don't live. I was feeling pretty, not my best self 10 minutes ago. Now I feel on top of the world. I feel as though what I do matters. It's really important. So yeah, one nice comment, but let's take it away from podcasting for a minute. That's the same impact we all can have on any other human at any time we want. Just a simple 
nice word. Oh, thanks so much for that coffee you made. It's absolutely delicious, actually. You know, whatever it might be, but if eye contact, whatever it might be, it's what this speaks to for me is the importance of real human connection, whether that's as an author, whether that's as a podcaster, or whether that's just Joe Public going about their everyday life. I think it's the same thing. I think it's who we are with social animals. And we really need that sort of, what I call in my last book, positive social feedback. I don't think we spoke about this last time, Spencer, but there's a part of the brain called the sociometer, right? And the sociometer is always scanning our external environment uh, for signs that, you know, things are okay, we are safe. And one of the things it looks for is like a smile from another human being, a nod, a wink, something to indicate, hey, yeah, yeah, I got you. You know, we're part of this together. We're part of that tribe. That's why, you know, when you say something nice to a waiter or a waitress, or you're out for a walk, you said, hey, how you doing? And someone replies to you. That's why you you get literally a shot of well-being and happiness because it's that social connection piece. So yeah, I think they're quite reflective at the moment. You asked me a simple question and I've gone on a huge circle. I come back. I hope it's all relevant, but I do think there's something quite special about feedback. There's two things that have happened in the last two days that, have, uh, that I've witnessed that demonstrate that perfectly. So yesterday when we were finishing up here at 6.30, we said to the girls in the press room that have been organizing this, what time are you done today? And they're like, we're on till 10, 10.30. And you could see they were exhausted. And I was like, you know, and as we walked out to go back to the car, like bloody hell, you know, they've got long days, you know, really long days and it must be tough for them. This morning when we came in, Sophia that works with me, she had a box in her hand. And she took it into the girls in there. And I'm like, what you got in there? She goes, I saw some, uh, some candies and stuff for them. They've been working really hard. And it, it was, and it wasn't fancy, expensive chocolate. It was literally some candy, you know, some Mars bars and some um, Kit Kats and stuff. Yeah? yeah. And she took the box in, girls, I know you've been working really hard. You probably need some sugar to keep you going today. And she puts the box down. The girls' faces, yeah. immediately they light up. And it's like, that's classy. That's really classy. And it's just an act of kindness. You exactly. know? And, and, but it takes a certain type of person to think about that because I'm either ignorant or naive to it, but I wouldn't have thought of doing that in that moment. But Sophia did. Yeah, but that's, it's really interesting. And now that you've witnessed Sophia do that, I think you will see that opportunity in the future, somewhere else, completely unrelated. Uh, my suspicion is in the next few months, there will be an incident where something similar happens and you then take the initiative because you've seen it. And I think you know, kindness can really spread. I spoke to David Helmonson um, on my podcast about two years ago now, all about kindness. And he was sharing with me how kindness really is contagious and how if you do one act of kindness to someone else in one day, he made a very strong case from the scientific research that that could easily ripple out to another 125 people because the person you are, are showing kindness to is then more likely to show kindness to other people on the same day and then you know those people like a pyramid are gonna you know also be more likely and you could probably go beyond 125 but then if we think about the state of the world mm -hmm. and we think about social media and online there's a lot of division there's a you know you could think the world is very divided the reason i say you could think because i'm not sure it is right I tell you when I first thought about that last year, not last year, the year before, I ended up doing the London Marathon. Mm -hmm. Okay, first time I'd ever done it. 
didn't go particularly well, so I had an injury, but that's irrelevant to the, to the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is it was one of the most incredible experiences I'd been a part of. I thought for a few hours, for maybe five, six hours, I have just seen strangers be kind to other strangers, cheer them on. I saw, you know, it goes past council flats. People are coming out, they've bought, they've made and baked cakes and treats for the runners, mm -hmm. different races, different religions. You know, it was so wonderful. The, and at the end, even though I had a real struggle with an injury and so physical pain on an individual level, when I was reflecting on the day, I thought, it's really interesting. If you turn on the news, if you go onto Twitter, you would think the world is divided. But there must have been hundreds of thousands of people, maybe maybe even a million, who were interacting with other people. And it was all goodness. It was all kind. It was, it was all positive. And I thought, that's who we actually are, humans. right? We think we're not connected. But it's the same when you come to events, right? And you go around and you, know, you can meet someone who has a completely different political viewpoint to you. You wouldn't know that. You just see another human who's smiling at you and greeting and trying to help you. So I know we all say the world's divided, and I often say it, but I'm starting to even question that these days. Like, is it really, or do we think it's divided because of the mediums through which we connect? Mm. When we connect in person, I'm not sure I've seen that much evidence that things really are divided. Well, it's funny, you know, when you go to events, um, and I speak at various events, you see that there's a lot more collaboration between people, a lot more, a lot more effort to engage than they would do normally. So I believe that. The fact you just talked about the London Marathon really resonates with me. I used to live where the, next to the sign for mile 21. Okay. Just as you're coming off the Isle of Dogs. Right. Okay. And, and literally outside, I, I researched what drinks runners, okay, after 20 miles would need to drink. And I would buy boxes of them outside the door, okay, and I'd be handing them to people as they were going by. And it was it was incredible gels and stuff like that, you know, all the stuff that they need. And and again, I didn't know half of the neighbours in the apartment building that I lived in until the first London Marathon. And then I knew all of them, and we cheered on everyone, you know, the first runner that came through all the way through until we were drunk later, and the last one came. Through. So what's interesting to me, Spence, as you say that, about five minutes ago, you said that Sophia, I think mm -hmm. the lady you work with did that gesture of kindness. And you said, it's interesting because I never would have thought to do that. Uh -huh. And now you just demonstrated that you actually did that yeah. in a different setting, uh -huh. right? It's who we all are. It's just, we're all going to see different opportunities. You saw an opportunity. Why would you, with your own money, go and buy the right things at these runners who you don't know who they are, right? You're gonna, not going to see them afterwards. Why would you do that? You do that because, well, you... But somebody, tri I tell you what triggered it. Someone said to me, mile 21 is where people hit this wall. And they said, they get, and they said you get to 21, and it's literally a really, really, really bad place to get to when you hit the wall. And I'm thinking, well, what can I do at this wall? Yeah, what you can know? you do? So your first thought wasn't, I, well, I... Suffer. I <laughs> yeah, suffer. Or it wasn't, oh, man, this is going to cost me X amount of pounds to buy them what they need. From what you're saying, your first thought was, oh, wow. They're going to be in pain and suffering right outside my front door. What can I do to help them? Mm -hmm. I think there's something quite powerful in that. Mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think it ties into podcasting. I think it ties into that previous question. I really do that, you know, it's who we are as humans. And I think for anyone who's listening to this, you know, when was the last time they, or when was the last time you or me said to our 
staff that we work with, our colleagues, how much we appreciate them. You know, it, it's like we often don't. We often take it for granted. And, you know, I, I spoke to Jay Shetty a couple of weeks ago. It was coming out this Wednesday on my show. And um, we were talking about gratitude and relationships. Uh -huh. And it was really interesting. At the end of it, at the end, at the end of the conversation, me and Gareth, who videos all my podcasts, we just took a moment to express our gratitude to each other about how much we appreciate what the other one does and stuff. And again, maybe to British people, it doesn't come naturally, but I actually think we need to almost not force ourselves to do it, but yeah, maybe force ourselves to do it because it feels good for us and the other person. Talk to me about the, the link between kindness and loneliness. Can kindness cure loneliness? Or can it help to make loneliness more bearable? Yeah, I think it definitely can because, you know, what is it? Is it Gandhi who said the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others? If I butchered that quote, I apologize, but it's something to that effect. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful. And, you know, think about Alcoholics Anonymous, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I'm not part of that. And I know lots of, um, the principles and practices are not shared publicly. So from what I can gather, being off service to someone else is a key tenet of that recovery program, as it is for many recovery programs. Because a lot of the time, you know, think about what is loneliness? Well, it's isolation, right? It's when we don't feel as though we have a supportive tribe who can be there for us if we need them to. So our bodies stress response gets activated because it perceives it as a threat. This is why we now know that the feeling of being lonely is as harmful as smoking 15, one, five cigarettes per day, right? Which is remarkable, mm. absolutely remarkable. We all know smoking's not, you know, particularly good for our health. Let's put it like that, right? Loneliness is just as bad, but we don't perceive it that way. And, you know, while smoking rates are going down, loneliness is shooting up rapidly and again i don't think kindness is necessarily going to be the cure for everyone but what does kindness do as soon as you do something for someone else you take yourself outside of you and your woes and your struggles and you you literally feel good the researchers who called this part of the brain the sociometer i think they called it vitamin s you get shots of vitamin s the social vitamin mm. right there's a beautiful way of thinking about it so it really does help. Think about something that's blowing up in the UK, Parkrun, mm -hmm. right? Parkrun, I don't know if there's one in Dubai. I know in many countries around the world, but essentially for people who don't know, it's a 5K race, I shouldn't say race, 5K event that you can run, you can walk, you can skip, you know, there's always a tail walker. So they have a, um, a philosophy that no one comes last because there's always someone walking behind you. Parkrun is transforming people's lives and it's actually not about the running. Right, we think it's about the running, but a few years ago I spoke to Nick Pearson, the CEO of Parkrun at the time on my podcast, and he said to me something so powerful, Spencer. He said, Parkrun is a social intervention masquerading as a running event. And again, those words have never left me because I thought, My God, you're right. I've sent patients of mine before who don't like running, who are depressed, who feel lonely. I said, well, why don't you volunteer at the local park run? They're so inclusive, gonna want you around. 
it's changed, it's got rid of depression in some patients, you know, got rid of it completely because half the problem in many patients is they feel isolated, they feel they're alone, they don't feel they're of any value to anyone, let alone themselves. Mm. And suddenly they show it's a park run, they're wanted, they're needed, they're part of a community. When they're not there, people are asking, where are you? You know, do you know what I mean? So I think it's really, really, um, it's who we are, it's profound. And I think the more of a whole you feel in, the lonelier you feel, the more you have to embrace kindness and think, how can I do this? What can I do today? Mm-hmm. Can I send even a text to an old friend of mine and say, hey, listen, you know, I was meant to tell you, you helped me move flats when I was 22, lifted boxes with me all afternoon. I never really said thank you. I just want to say I appreciate it. Whatever it is, something so small, we feel, oh, what are they going to think? You know, can I do that 10 years after the event, 20 years after the event? Yes, you can. And again, a lot of research in this. We feel people don't want us to reach out, but, but our brains are kidding us. It's not true. The research always shows consistently that when we reach out, not only do we feel better, they also feel better. People are glad. Just imagine you, Spencer, or me. Imagine if someone you hadn't spoken to in 10 years who you used to know really well just sent you a text out of the blue, said, hey, mate, you know, I know you're on with your life now. You're in Dubai and, you know, you're doing this and that. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, I remember, you know, back in our 20s when this happened and this happened, I always remember how you were there for me after my breakup or whatever it might have been. How good would you feel? It happened two days ago. No way. I promise you. I can show you the message. What? What what happened? I couldn't believe it. He said, um... And then he went to school with me. So I've not seen him since I was 16. All right. Just to be clear, I didn't know any of that. No, no, I'm just talking completely no, randomly. Completely. That's why I started smiling. Gavin Cornelius is his name. And he was at school with me and he sent me a message on LinkedIn. Just want you to know that you podcasted one of my best friends. What a small world. And it made me think I needed to reach out to you and say, well done. I'm really impressed with what you've done and how your career's gone. And if you're in England anytime soon, I'd love to have dinner with you. I mean, that I was, me... I was buzzing. Exactly. Such a warm feeling. It is. And we, you know, we don't need to wait. But this is the key message for me. We don't need to wait for that miracle to happen to us. We can be that miracle for somebody else. Every single person who's listening to your show right now can do an act of kindness today. Whether it's during this episode or after it, they can do it, Right. And one thing I always say to people is, listen, we can listen to these inspirational podcasts, okay? We can get excited, go, yeah, I love that idea, brilliant. But things only change if you turn that inspiration into action, mm. right? Always. But often we don't. And I can be curious with this. You listen, oh, that's a great idea, and you crack on with your day, right? Great idea. And that's fine. Ideas land at different times in our lives. You know, we can hear the same idea five or six times, and one day it's like, I'm ready for that message now. But my challenge is to anyone listening, do an act of kindness today. You know, contact Spencer on LinkedIn or, or DM you on Instagram, let you know what it is because it it's a ripple effect. It's how we create a happier world. I'm convinced of it and we can all do it. Then to me, it's kind of like then we have to consider habit. So let's try and work out habit another way than the, we use me as a guinea pig. Okay. Okay. So start of the year, January came, New Year's resolution. <clears throat> I was 15.4% body fat. One of, uh, one of my buddies, golfer guy I know, he's like, let's have a bet. 50 quid, first three months of the year, 
see who can lose the most body fat percentage. Okay, target's 10%. I'm like, done. So start the beginning of the year and we agreed every every Monday morning we get measured, okay, so that we got something to to judge each other by, make sure there's no cheating us. The habit starts or the behavior starts in the right direction. And each of those first four weeks of January, every single week, it's gone down and down and down. And I'm like, yes, come on. So I'm in it. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm fighting for it. But then I had a wobble. And that wobble was because I couldn't sustain that behavior because it started to become punishing's too big a word. It started to become uncomfortable. I started to feel like I was missing out. I was talking myself out of the commitment yeah. for for those little, little little spaces of time, you know, it wasn't like it was like, no, that's it, I surrender. It was just like, well, come on, today, we're just... So you're allowed to do it today. It's the weekend, yeah. for goodness sake. I'm at, the, I'm, at, I'm at the Lit Fest. I'm at the Lit Fest. There's, I haven't been able to bring my food. It's all yeah, free back yeah. for me. So I'm going to go, you know, I'll have a Niswa salad, but I'll have a bit of mayonnaise and some fries. That habit is really hard to form. And it's a real struggle, like a real struggle to be really consistent with stuff that's not easy to do. And for yeah. some people, they'll go, you know, like, like, like my personal trainer is like, come on, this is not difficult. But there's something in my head that starts to talk me out of that strong behavior and back to what I typically was before. Yeah. Okay. There's so much there, right? Okay. That's super fascinating. First of all, thanks for sharing that. So let's just take a step back a second. Okay. So you want to make some improvements with your health, let's say, mm -hmm. this year. I so does one of your friends. So having a friend do something with us can be great because it can provide that accountability. Some people thrive on this sort of, let's have a bet on this, right? On that conversation. You could probably say, you know, maybe some guys like to do that more than women, potentially. But I guess I, I appreciate there's huge differences there. So let's say you hadn't wobbled. Let's just go down the hypothesis that how you went in January you kept going in February, you kept going in March, and you win the bets. Now, here's the problem, or the potential problem. Even if you were to win and get to 10% body fat, right? You may have met the goal in March. But if those, if those were coming from, if those behaviors were coming from a place of lack, rather than a place of love and abundance, they're always destined to fail. Right? This is what I've learned in my own life. You can punish yourself, and maybe punishing is um, too harsh a word. You can restrict yourself. You can do these things to meet a set goal. Oh, I'm getting married on that date. I need to be at this point so I look good in my wedding photos. Right? But what people aren't really asking for when they're asking for these goals, then you, what? I don't think your real goal is 10% body fat at the end of March or whenever it is. And you, I could be wrong on that. I, I'm interested as what your real goal is. And my suspicion is, having spoken to tens of thousands of patients over the year, that your real goal is, actually, I want less body fat than I currently have. I want more energy, I want more vitality. I want to feel good in who I am, not just for three months in 2023, but permanently. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So sometimes these short-term goals can actually be problematic because they cause a restricted type mindset to meet that goal. But then as soon as we met that goal, you know, on that day when you've got 10% body fat, what we do to celebrate now. And then you could totally go off the rails for the next few weeks. This is typically what happens with January diets for most people. They can you can lose weight on any diet in January if you stick to it pretty much. But the question is, what, 
is your goal? Are you still maintaining that in March, in May, in September, right? So that's the first thing to say there, which I see a lot of the time. Now, what does the uh, science on behavior change say about the best way to change behaviors? Okay, there's many rules of behavior change that the science would suggest for most people work. There's always outliers, right? There's always outliers who can literally overnight go, that's it, I'm totally changing my life. Typically, in my experience, the only people who manage to do that are people who've had a significant life event, like a bereavement. They've had a horrible diagnosis, they've had a heart attack, their partner has, someone's died. You know, a really big life event has caused them to look at life through a completely different lens I go, right, I'm living that way anymore. I'm changing everything. Okay, that can work. But for most people, the, the big change, I just haven't found work in the long term. So rule number one that I always talk to my patients about is you've got to make something easy, right? If you want it to, if you want a new behavior to turn into a habit, you have to make it easy. Now, why do you need to make it easy? Well, you, you've actually demonstrated it with your story. The exact example, yeah. Because we think motivation will last forever and it won't the scientific research calls it the motivation wave motivation goes up the motivation comes down right in everybody so motivation will come down so if what you're asking yourself to do is difficult you'll do it when your motivation is high but on those days when motivation is low when it's you're tired you're out of your environment in the uk it's raining right whatever it might be if the task is too hard you will not do it, which is, I think, what's happened. Mm -hmm. So the way around it is you start small. You make the behavior so simple that even on a, a bad day, you'll still do it. I'll give an example of what I mean by that in just a moment. So rule number one is start easy. And I appreciate now you have a bet with your friend, right? So that potentially complicates matters because you're probably sitting here at the start of February you're probably thinking, hey, this all sounds great, Rongan, but I need to beat him, right? Potentially. So we'll, we can come to that in a second. So <laughs> rule number two is, where do you put that behavior? Let's say, is it are you working out as part of this? Yeah, I work every day. Okay. Five, so, five days a week. So you're working <coughs> out. Right. So let's just use working out as an example, because I think it's, it's really easy to get off. I've always done it. that. So I've always worked out. So, so it's not like that's a new habit for So me. what's the new thing for you? Okay. It's food. So, so the difference is, I mean, I have, I have a meal plan, but what I do with the meal plan is I have this two meals a day delivered and then I cheat with an apple or a couple of apples or something some nights during the week. So the beginning of this year, it was like, no, okay, I'd have my two really set meals. That's my 2000 calories and I won't consume anything else. And that's been fine. But, okay, yesterday I had my two meals, but last night before I left, there's an ice cream store down there and I'll let you know what, well, it's Saturday, I'm going to have an ice cream. And it's those little cheating moments that I'm like, well, no one's going to know or it's not going to affect anything that maybe almost allow me to justify it in my mind. But I even woke up today and I was like, oh, my God, I felt bigger or fatter or slower or more slovenly okay. almost than I was the day before. There's two things to say there, right? So let's say last night you had an ice cream, okay, which is off plan. Again, let's think about sustainability, right? What's the point of crushing it for three months, winning this bet, if what you're doing is completely unsustainable? Like, yeah, you prove to yourself that you can do it, but you probably know you can do things. You you know, you're a successful individual in life. Yeah, right? I, I see, I believe differently. I believe 
when somebody has done something, let's say somebody's gone through a weight loss experience and yeah. lost five kilos or 10 kilos, the brain then knows it can be done. Yeah. For lots of people that haven't had the experience of that, there is no, there's no memory of that. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't disagree with that. But when I, when I talk about sustainability, I'm saying, what if you didn't feel guilty about the ice cream this morning? Well, there's two things. Did you feel guilty? Uh, once I got in the car. So I ate it, felt amazing, got in the car, drove home, felt like shit. Yeah, the guilt is what kills us here because the guilt makes it, um, you know, if you, it sounds like you loved your ice cream last night and you enjoyed it. it. Right, so (laughs) if you can have it, enjoy it and sit with it and actually go, you know what? Yes, I wasn't planning to, but it's been a tough weekend, finished late and you know what? I don't normally pass this ice cream stall. Yeah, I had it, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, in the whole scheme of things around this journey over three months, I don't think it's going to make that much difference, right? So we can make this small thing a huge thing, but it really doesn't need to be. It could be, yeah, you know what? And then you've got a powerful reinforcing effect this morning. You didn't feel so good. You've probably been eating really clean, really well. Often when we eat like that, when we when we go off plan, we start to realize how bad some of this food can make us feel sometimes right you know if you'd had it last night enjoyed it mm. and gone yeah you know what fine i really really enjoyed it it's been a tough weekend mm. fine and then got up today as usual and thought oh wow don't feel so great tummy's a bit off or whatever it might have been that's very powerful education because when we eat you know not everyone loves the word clean eating okay so when you eat really well for a period of time it's so obvious then when we have some highly processed foods, what it's doing to us. A lot of yeah. us don't realize because we're having it all the time. So actually, I wouldn't call that failure last night. I would call that a very powerful learning experience. Wow, this is what I feel like when I have an ice cream late at night. Okay, that means, or it, it might mean next time you're in that position, let's say next Saturday night, right? You might go, hey, you know what? I didn't like the way I felt last Sunday morning. I'm going to pass. So instead of seeing it as a weakness and seeing it as a you failed, actually you just learned a very powerful lesson. That's another way to frame it. So that's how I would think about it because I do think this beating ourselves up when we make a choice that we may not want to have made. You know, I know, look, I've written books on nutrition and the importance of that for our well-being. You know, in one of the lockdowns, I think my mum was really unwell at the time work was super stressful and obviously everyone was getting quite stressed in the lockdowns not being able to go and do stuff you know i started to binge a bit on sugar and it's not as if i don't know what it's doing to me right <laughs> i've written books on it but i'm a human so i was really actually kind to myself then in a way that five years before that i wouldn't have been i was like oh this is interesting you're dealing with stress with sugar okay fair enough you know there are other ways you can deal with stress you know, you could go for a run, you could have a bath, you could talk to your wife, you know, whatever it might be. And I think a lot of the time we, again, we try and um, bully our way into lifestyle change. All behaviors in our lives serve a role. They're all there for a reason. And often we try and jump to what we want it to be without identifying what role does that play in my life. Let's take alcohol, for example. A lot of the time in January, you know, people are trying to cut out booze yeah dry january yeah dry january and often they'll do it but most people who do dry january in my experience end up pretty soon afterwards 
at their pre-existing alcohol habits. Again, no judgment. That's fine. But I'm pretty sure the reason they did dry January was to see if they can make some sort of change to their habits. But the problem is, is that for many people, the stress in their life is so great and unmanaged that alcohol helps them manage the stress. So if you haven't thought about that, if you haven't made any changes to the structure of your life, or if you haven't found an alternative stress reduction activity, of course you're going to go back to alcohol because you need something to manage your stress. But when you look at stress as it, on its own and you you look at the, the, the self-inflicted stress and external stress that's brought to you, in your expert opinion, what percentage of our stress is stuff that we're creating for ourselves? And what, stuff, what percentage is actually genuinely stuff that's punching us on the nose? If you'd asked me this 10 years ago, uh, I don't know what my answer would have been, but it would have been very different to today. These days, I'm convinced more and more, and you know, I wrote a book on stress about four years ago, right? And even since then, my views have changed. Oh, really? Factually, what I put in that book, I still stand by everything. But I didn't really address this question, I don't think, in the book. And it's a really important question, Spencer, because the vast majority of the stress, I think, that we experience in our lives is self-generated. Okay, and I try, I'm trying to say that with incredible compassion and sensitivity. I understand some people have got really tough lives, that they're struggling to make ends meet, right? Okay, that is a real stress. But I think for most of us, or I should say at least many of us, we create stories about what's going on in the world that make us feel stressed. Stress is ultimately, for a lot of our stresses, is a perception. Right? So, for example, um, the driver who cuts you up on the roads, right? So you're trying to drive to work, suddenly someone cuts you up, nearly has a crash with you. Okay. And we have a choice in how we react there. We may not think we've got a choice, but we do. We could go, oh my God, that driver is awful. They should be off the road. They're a disgrace. I can't believe, you know, who would let someone like, you know, whatever we want to do. What's happening? We're generating stress at the moment. We get, And when we get to work, we need a bit more coffee to, to, to deal with it, a bit more sugar. Then what do we do? We like to moan with our, oh, you'll never believe what happened this morning. You know, yeah, people like that shouldn't be on the road. Okay, I've been there before, right? So I ain't criticizing, but one event is now, which has been and gone, it's not lasting the entire day. You're generating that stress signal to your body the entire day. Whereas you can train yourself to look at that event and go, oh, that's interesting. You know, I wonder what's going on in that guy's life. I wonder, you know, maybe they're um, they're running late for work and they think that one more time when they rock up late, they're going to get fired. Maybe their daughter was up with earache last night and they're absolutely knackered. Maybe he's going through a divorce and actually he's not thinking. Whatever it might be, what I've, what I've come to learn, Spencer, is that the story actually doesn't matter. The reality doesn't matter. What matters is that we choose a story that empowers us and doesn't make us a victim. And, you know, people will say, yeah, that's all right with road rage, but it's not all right in other situations. Well, hold on a minute. I don't know if we covered this last time. We may have done. I, um, I, I was chatting about the conversation I had with Edith Eager um, a couple of years ago, 93-year-old lady. She was in Auschwitz when she was 16. I remember it, yeah. And that conversation changed my life. And the reason why I'm so passionate that we can all apply these principles in our life is because she applied those principles in Auschwitz. 
right? Her parents get murdered when she was 16 within two hours of getting there, right? And then she has to dance for the guards later that same day. And she says, well, I never forgot the last thing my mum said to me before she was murdered, which is, Edith, no one can take from you the contents that you put inside your mind. So she said, wrong, and I wasn't dancing in Auschwitz. I was dancing in Budapest Opera House. There was an orchestra playing, right? So she created a new narrative. And, I, and I th I'm pretty sure I said this last time, but it's worth reiterating because this has probably had the most profound impact on my life than anything else that I've done or applied. Com you know, much more than nutrition or movement or sleep or any of those things that I've talked about for years. This knowledge that I can choose my response in every single situation is one of the most liberating things to, to happen to me in my life. Because I think if she, she said to me, I've lived in Auschwitz, Rongen, but I can tell you this, the greatest prison you will ever live inside is the prison you create inside your own minds. That's what we all do. You ask how much of stress is self-generated? Most of it, because we're choosing to make that event stressful. And in a lot of events, maybe not every event, okay? Maybe it's, it is definitely harder in certain situations. And Edith wouldn't expect you to be able to do, just because what's so incredible about her is that she doesn't, she doesn't want people to hear her story and go, oh, if she can deal with it in Auschwitz, what have I got to complain with in my life? No, she says there's no hierarchy in pain. She wants people to believe if she can do it, I can do it. Right? And that's powerful. So if I'm ever struggling to reframe something in my day-to-day -day life, I think, hey, you're wrong. And Edith could reframe it in Auschwitz. You can probably reframe this. So I take it as inspiration. And I really think there's no greater skill that we can learn than really understanding I can choose a different response, right? And to make it really practical for people, and I, I do write about this in Happy Mind, Happy Life. Like, there's a whole chapter on this. I say to people this, find a bit of social friction every day. So friction in your social environment. Where someone does something that really irritates you or annoys you or you feel really bad. And then, maybe not in the moment, maybe you're not skilled enough to do it in the moment yet. But then that evening, or even wait till the weekend, write it down and go, okay, what other slant could I put on this? What other story? What other narrative could I create here? What's this showing up in me? Actually, you know what? They had a point. I got really triggered because I'm insecure about this. It's nothing to do with them. They had a good point. I'm. They just preyed on one of my own insecurities. The problem's not out there. The problem's inside me. Let me work on my insecurity. And before you know it, you do this for a few weeks, a few months. You are literally getting a daily masterclass in your own internal world. And so these days... I'm not saying I never get triggered. That would be uh, going a step too far, but it's very, very rare because I've trained myself to always choose the empowering narrative rather than the kind of disempowering one. Mate, I would love to sit and talk to you for another hour. We're going to have to do part three, but these people are hollering at us to take you off to your next interview. I really appreciate your time today. It's um, always just a absolute pleasure talking to you. Spencer, listen, I think you've got a great show. You're doing some really, really cool work. And um, I feel we're just getting warmed up. So it's yeah. frustrating for me as well. I feel we're about to go deep now. So I hope that's of use for your audience. Though. Absolutely. Really valuable stuff. Thank you so much. That's right.